in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As you know, tomorrow is the anniversary of September 11th. It'll be 19 years since that tragic day when all those people were killed. Perhaps uh, you remember the morning. I don't know if you remember it. I certainly remember it uh, like it was yesterday. It seemed uh, so unreal, so unbelievable to, to, for somebody to, or a group of people to commit such an atrocious act, to want such harm to others. That series of four coordinated suicide attacks by a terrorist group. And uh, it, it was really quite striking, the, the, the terror that that that's supposed of those 102 minutes in downtown New York and, and then in the different parts of the country, of the US. Of course, it changed our lives too, forever. As I understand, something like 3,000 people were killed. And now they're, they're adding more names. I think they've added, uh, I don't know, some some three or four hundred more names of people, firefighters and so forth, that died of of, uh, of 9-11 related illnesses because whatever, they inhaled uh, harmful substances and and it was as though overnight uh, our sense of uh, fragility changed. I remember being at the Manoir uh, on a workshop and uh, checking my email before going to give the class at nine o'clock. I had to leave about five, five to nine or ten to nine. And already at ten to nine, there was news that uh, an airplane had hit the, the World Trade Center. But of course, the, 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 first, uh, the first airplane hit around quarter two, I believe. But I already there at the Manoir already knew five or ten minutes later. But of course we knew nothing exactly of what was going on. Later on that afternoon I, I went to, uh, to get a haircut at the local barber. And near, next door there was a TV store. And since I didn't have a TV and you, those kinds of things you couldn't really watch them on the internet in those days. But uh, there were, it was a massive array of screens all lined up in the TV store and they were all of course showing the scenes of the planes. It was a dramatic day and uh, as I understand these days they'll have memorials of course completely affected by a new, a new kind of tragedy that we have now which is the pandemic which uh, has of course killed many more people than, uh, than those attacks. This, in some ways, is another kind of war that is changing us. And so today, as we 
Remember that day we asked the Lord, well, to give us confidence and trust in Him and in His providence. And to never let such attacks, I suppose motivated by hatred, I don't know exactly what it was motivated by, but, but that they never lead us to hate, that they never lead us to, to resentment or bitterness. Indeed, in today's uh, Gospel, uh, the Lord uh, teaches us really what is the most iconic and emblematic teaching of our faith. He said, to you who hear, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who, who hate you. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. And from the person who takes your cloak, do not even withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. It's this really demanding invitation to challenge ourselves in the way we love. And how are we going to do that? How are we going to really love our enemies? Or just love those we don't like? Well, you probably know that famous quote from, from C.S. Lewis, who said, do not waste time bothering whether you, quote, love your neighbor. He said, act as if you, as if you did. Don't think, do I love my neighbor? Just act. He said, when you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him even more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. So that's what we have to do. We always have to act, behave, I would say even think as though we love them. And this was certainly the, the principle that was behind uh, somebody like uh, Saint Thérèse de Lisieux who, who noticed that she had sometimes a tendency to be obsessed with the faults of those around her. She saw the faults, mistakes, and that is understandable because it is their faults which make us suffer. And this suffering, which is caused by their faults, reminds us of them continuously. Because faults are ugly. Defects are not pretty. And we are reminded, we notice them. So then, she thought, well, why not look at virtues which are beautiful? Like looking at a beautiful painting, like this red book here. Look at something beautiful. Because the, the good intentions of others often escape our notice. We cannot judge intentions. 
she wrote, when I want to increase in myself my love of neighbor, especially when the devil tries to put before the eyes of my soul the faults of this or that sister who is less appealing to me, I hasten to seek out her virtues, her good desires. I tell myself that if I have seen her fall one time, she may well have undergone a great many victories that she hides through her humility. And that even what happens at what appears as a fault to, to me could very well be an act of virtue because of intention. Ah, I understand now that perfect charity consists of enduring the faults of others, of not being at all astonished at their weaknesses, of being edified, she said, by the smallest acts of virtue which once one sees them practice. I have to be edified by the smallest act of virtue that I see in others. And that's why when we come here, we know we come here to receive formation. And some people think of formation, maybe they tend to consider formation as knowledge. As it were. Uh, you know, they, they would say, well, a, good, a person with good formation is a person with good doctrinal knowledge, good ascetical knowledge, maybe good professional knowledge, moral knowledge. They, they know all that information, They're, therefore they would be considered somebody with good formation. And we tend to sometimes fit into that. But today we're not just called to get more knowledge, more information, but it has to be something much more dynamic. It has to really, you could say, affect our very being. And that's why, that's why charity is so important. It's not about knowledge. It's not about knowing that we have to be kind and good and turn the other cheek. We have to do it. You could say that grace truly wants to sink in deeply into our soul so that it reaches the person in all her integrity. And that means we have to view the formation we receive in terms of a way of being. And that way of being is fundamentally expressed in the way we live charity. Or we at least struggle to live charity. You know, good professionals, they know a body of information, uh, techniques that are required for their, for, for their profession. But real good professionals also have acquired something else apart from the knowledge. They have developed good habits, that is, ways of being, that enable them to apply that knowledge to those techniques successfully. They have habits of attention towards others, the way they look at others, the way they're patient, the way they do not judge others, the way they hasten always to seek the good, the way they see the virtues in others. 
the way they're never astonished at all by, by their weaknesses or by their defects. Do you become astonished, shocked, scandalized by the weaknesses, the defects, the very real defects of others? Is that expressed sometimes in the way you, you maybe uh, are tempted to talk about it with others? Isn't that the, the source of, or isn't that what we would call gossip? Does that happen? Grace wants to sink in deep. And when that happens, it affects our formation as a way of being, a way that I am, the kind of person I've become. The habits of attention towards others, like just concentration in my work. If I'm able to hold on for an hour working on this book or reading this maybe rather dry chapter, and when I see a YouTube notification telling me you must see this viral video, I can say, no, I am not going to see this. When I see a Facebook notification, I'm going to say, um, I don't know what you do, but you just don't do it. Just don't go there. I don't know if you can swipe or I don't know what you can do, but concentration and work, that's a way of being. Punctuality. Coping with successes, but coping also with failures. When we cope with successes, we don't think we're the greatest person in the human race because we had a success. And when we have a failure of some kind, we're not, we don't dive into the dungeon of despair. We all, we all have failures. We all have little successes. We are being that would lead to perseverance where we face the challenges we all have in front of us and then when we embrace those challenges we somehow become bigger, we become a better version of ourselves. Imagine if we could, if we could think that my life is not really about the goals that I want to attain. My life is not really about the successes I would like to see. I mean, I'm sure perhaps you're thinking, well, I want to get an A in this course, I want to get into uh, MIT, I want to get into whatever university, I want to get this job. Those are, like that, those are, obviously they're not bad things, they're good things. But if our life is constantly measured on the basis of goals that we seek to fulfill, naturally good goals and laudable goals, and that our own value depends on whether or not I've achieved those, um, inevitably we will remain dissatisfied in some way. Because we're always going for another goal. And we become very fragile when we do not achieve those goals. Because even if we do achieve a goal, even if it's a big goal, of course we'll be happy for a while, but then there'll be another goal that we'll be seeking. But if our life can be that at every moment and at every time I'm seeking simply 
to forge the best version of myself, which has to do with the way I interact with others, where I see the good in others, where I seek to forge cheerfulness in others, to be strong, persevering, focused, concentrated. It's what leads us to get up on the dot when we wake up. But I'm, I'm sure you already do that. You don't need to be told that. I'm, I'm sure you're, you know, you're an expert at that already. You, know? you probably hit the ceiling when you wake up. I'm sure. You know. Do I, right now, am I able in my mind able to identify my challenges? Do I face them? Of course, the only way to, to do that is with a spirit of freedom. A spirit of freedom in facing and embracing the challenges. Not being afraid of having to endure a bit of frustration. You know, they say, they say that, that programmers often have to face frustration. A person who's coding doesn't work, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and they start their, why is this not working? And they start getting frustrated, and they do it again and again and again. Yeah, but if you just do it again and again, it's just not going to work. you got to do something else. you got to think about this. Focus. Just focus. Okay, why is it not working? Why is that, you know, why is that code, that piece of code not working? But it should work. It should. I know, but it doesn't. So do something else. Think about it. And don't just Google an answer. And uh, like, like that prof, I, I don't remember what university it was, uh, who asked his students, what do you expect from this course? And they said, tell us something that we cannot find in Google, that we cannot discover easily in Google, that, that will challenge us. Do I know my challenges? The same way, being a good Christian, as our Lord shows us in today's Gospel, is not really just about knowledge or about knowing things. It's not about knowledge at a level that is appropriate to one situation in the church and in society. The church, you could say, it's, it's, it's not about the church's teaching on the sacraments or on prayer or on general or professional moral norms. Our dream has to be much higher. It has to be really to immerse ourselves in the mystery of Christ so as to grasp all its depths, all its breadth, letting his life enter into ours and being able to say with St. Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what it means to be alter Christus, ipse Christus, to be another Christ, to be Christ himself, because he transforms our life so that we are configured with him. This has to amaze us. This has to fascinate us. I mean, you could say with where our Lord, his whole life was focused on going to Jerusalem, moving up to Jerusalem, and going and embracing the cross. And when St. Peter tried to 
impede that or avoid that, he said, get behind me Satan, meaning you're an obstacle to me. That's what Satan in this case meant. Because his goal in this sense was to take up the cross. That was the purpose of his life. And the whole time as he was teaching, he was moving towards that fundamental goal, which would be transformative. But everything, everything was oriented towards that. So, for us, we understand that letting grace act in us, like the way we live charity, the way we are patient with others, it is not simply something passive, as though we are there and, and grace kind of flutters on top of us. Letting grace act is, is not a passive action. It's a proactive action. It does not mean simply not placing obstacles in the way. Because the Holy Spirit will not transform us into another Christ without our free, voluntary cooperation. You cannot be a saint unless you have free, voluntary cooperation. But not even that is not, even that is not enough. To give ourselves to our Lord, to give Him our life, it's not simply to give Him our decisions, our actions. It's also to give Him our heart, our feelings, our spontaneity. And of course to do that, well, yes, we do need good intellectual and doctrinal formation that shapes our mind and influences our decisions. But this has to sink deeply and reach deep into our heart. I mean, when we say our heart, we mean the depths of our being, our, our, our freedom. And that, of course, requires the struggle and, and uh, requires time and effort, requiring those virtues. So we ask this uh, of our Blessed Mother. And uh, you know, that, that our heart really be transformed and that we really learn what it means uh, uh, to, to be men and women who know how to love. Would that we know how to love. This is what the, the saints did. They knew how to love. In other words, they knew how to love their enemies. Especially as we enter now into the 19th anniversary of September 11th. That it, this should not be something that we forget. Not because we don't want it ever to happen again, but because we want to use this as an occasion to truly forgive. To learn how to forgive. To learn how to truly love our enemies. No doubt you know that, that account of St. Josemaria, how he, he was in Madrid and after the war and he took a taxi. And uh, the taxi driver asked him, asked him, where were you during the Civil War? And he said, well, I, I was in Madrid. I was, yeah. And the taxi driver looked at him through the rearview mirror and said, would that they had killed you during the Civil War. I wish they had killed you. Of course, not a guy who particularly liked priests. And St. Osiris stayed quiet after that direct attack. Didn't say anything. Waited for the ride to finish. 
and then leaned over, gave him his fare, and said, here, take, take this extra special tip, he gave him a generous tip. He said, give, you know, go and buy some candies for your children and your wife. Have a special time. It's on me. It was meant to be a, a kind gesture so that he not see him as an enemy. He could have gone out of that and said, well, there's, there's a guy who doesn't understand. He, he's anti-clerical. He's probably an atheist. Uh, well, maybe he had good reasons to be an atheist. Maybe he had been mistreated. Maybe he had, he had uh, been mistreated by priests or by somebody in the church or maybe by his own family. It happens. So instead of treating him as an enemy, he, he acted as though he loved him. No doubt it was not easy to do that because he, was a, he had a fiery temper and somebody who says something like that to you, I wish they'd killed you during the war. I wish they'd killed you. <laughs> Could have said, he said, here, buy some candies for your children. And no doubt that taxi driver went away from there better, calmer, less bitter, no doubt. Let's ask the Lord to show us the means in which we can do that every day. Every day we have occasions to do that, especially when we're in any way irritated so that, so that we become a better version. And the best sign is that, of course, our own patience. We grow in patience, we grow in fortitude in our Lord. And our Blessed Mother will guide us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.